Hello, hello. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. My name is Jason Bay, but you can call me Jay Bay. And what I care a lot about is helping reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with prospects, but hate it when they send an email and the prospect doesn't respond or when they go to pick up the phone and make a cold call, they don't feel really confident about what they're going to say to the prospect. In this podcast, I share tactics and strategies to help you land more meetings with your ideal clients. So let's get to the interview. You ever play sports when you were younger or maybe when you were in college and you watch game film for the first time? I don't know about you, but <laughs> when I watched myself play, I think it was soccer and it was in third or fourth grade, I was starting to take soccer a little bit more seriously. And my dad was filming the game so he could point out things to me that I didn't notice. And that's one thing if you've played sports is like, you know, being in the game when you can't see yourself doing things, there's certain you know things that you miss out on and terms of what's going on in the game that you may not have caught, you know, being there. Yeah, I remember just how horrifying it was to watch myself on <laughs> on film. And I played football, played basketball, same sort of thing. But one thing I always picked up by being able to review the film was I would pick up, like I said, on things that I just didn't notice when I was there in person. And why do I bring that up? Well, in sales, if we're not doing the same thing, if we're not reviewing game tape, you know, like a professional athlete does or any other kind of you know, athlete, we can actually miss out on a lot of things because when we're doing something in the moment, I don't know if you notice, but it feels like time kind of flies by, right? And you're paying really close attention, hopefully to something, but it may not be what you're doing or what you're saying, or the prospect may have said things that you didn't really catch. And when we miss those moments, we actually miss opportunities to land meetings in our cold calls. And we miss opportunities to really get the prospect engaged at the beginning of our discovery calls, or in our demos, and that could affect whether or not we make a sale. And a tool that I've started using is called Wingman, and it helps me, when I use it, capture those winning moments. So it helps me without having to listen back to an entire recording. It's able to transcribe it, and it's able to bookmark and pick out certain moments of that call that went well and certain moments that didn't. And I can also create cue cards where it will literally, uh, literally excuse me, remind me of hey, Jason, you're talking too much, or hey, Jason, the prospect said this thing, um, and a cue card can pop up in real time during my sales call and say, hey, when they ask about your competitors or your pricing, you need to talk about these three things. So I've been using Wingman. It's helped me with my booking rates, and it's also helped a lot with the coaching that we're doing with the reps we work with on their cold calls. So if you're a rep, I'd check it out. It's a really good way you can self-coach. And if you're a manager or sales leader, I would definitely look at it for your team. It's a, a really good way that you can scale your coaching and have your coaching there and sort of create an omnipresence you know, type of uh, thing with your coaching to where you don't have to be there in person delivering the coaching and you can count on it uh, to help your reps. So check it out at trywingman.com. I'm super excited for you to listen to the interview today with Jeff Bajoric. He's a really good friend. He's been on the podcast before, and this is the audio excerpt of the webinar that we did on the Think Outside the Script Summer Virtual Tour. And what he's talking about today is going to be rethinking the way that you sell and how are we creating experiences. No different than when you go to a concert and you don't feel weird or anxious or nervous when you see your favorite band play because they're professional, right? They're prepared. You don't get anxious about whether or not they're going to do good. And Jeff really challenges us to approach selling the same way. Are we creating those professional experiences? Are we creating an actual experience in and of itself? 
you know, for our prospects when we engage with them. And it's just taking that pride and putting that extra little bit of effort and attention and focus into it that really matters. So without further ado, I'm super excited for you to listen to this. Let's get to the interview. Uh, Jeff is, uh, he's not only a, a, someone that I've become pretty good friends with uh, in the last year or so, uh, but he's also someone that I really look up to in the space. And when the COVID stuff went down back in March, he was like the very first person I thought of talking to. And if you're not uh, familiar with who Jeff is, he's a consultant, he's an author, he's co-host of one of my favorite sales podcasts, the Why and the Buy podcast. Um, and his whole tagline and uh, shtick is rethink the way you sell, which I think is super cool. And we're going to be talking about that today. Uh, but Jeff, dude, super good to have you on, man. I'm excited for this. Thank you. Um, if I could just send me an invoice for an introduction like that and how much it'll cost on a repeating basis. <laughs> very, very kind to me. Um, I'm a big fan of your work and we kind of hit it off last year in Austin. Actually, we met at Scott Ingram's uh, event, the Sales Success uh, Summit, and we sat on the bus together on the way to eat. Um, what was, sorry, Texans, mediocre barbecue food that night, but it was um, it was a fun time. And uh, I just really enjoyed it. We've, we've stayed in touch since then. And uh, you've really inspired me. And, and this tour is one of the things like the, the ambition behind this tour is like really tremendous. And to just to see the, the webinar after webinar after webinar, and I haven't been able to attend even as many as I signed up for, but the ones I've been able to see have been really, really valuable. People that I've talked to have been there, have told me how valuable they think these things are. So thank you for making a contribution to the community that you and I both hold near and dear to our hearts. Um, but I also know that the inspiration for this came from the fact that there are no summer concert tours this year. And both you and I being, well, me maybe more so than you, a former musician, we, we've played gigs. We've we've actually had people pay us to play. Um, yep. Unfortunately for them. Well, <laughs> It gives me a great story to tell. I don't know how they feel yeah. about it years later, but what um, what was the first real show you went to see that you paid to see? Yeah. So my wife, Sarah, actually kind of thought of the virtual tour concept and she's like, you like going to concerts, right? So they, it kind of made me think of that. Um, but the first concert that I went to, like actually was like, hey, let's go get tickets. Let's watch them. Uh, I'm a huge Van Halen fan. Love Eddie Van Halen. That's why I started playing guitar in seventh grade. And in 2004, that was kind of the first concert we went to. It was really cool. My dad surprised me. He's the one that got me into Van Halen. So he gave me, uh, when I was in fourth grade, uh, my first CD was Big Willie Style by Will Smith. <laughs> and yeah, that was like my entire birthday money too. It was like 25 bucks for a CD back then. Yeah, Raj is like, yeah. And Kevin's like, yikes. Um, so Big Willie Style. My dad's like, you're getting into music. Like, you need to check this out. He gives me the first Van Halen CD. And then from there, I was hooked. So in 2004, he surprised me. I think it was a Christmas or birthday, one of those two. And Van Halen was getting back together with Sammy Hagar in 2004. And he surprised me with some tickets. We drove down to California. And it was just like an awesome experience um, getting to not only see like my favorite band of all time, but also get to get to experience it with my dad. So that's, that's, that was my first concert, man. That's so cool. Um, yeah. Actually, Van Halen was my first concert too. Uh, I know. It's crazy, huh? <laughs> April 15th, 1995. I'm a little older than you. I was 15 years old and we were, uh, we drove the, the four of us. 
it was the day before my friend Rich's birthday, actually. He's now my doctor, which is kind of weird thing, but that's another aside. But we went to this this show, Collective Soul, opened for them. It was the Balance Tour, and they yeah. opened with a song called The Seventh Seal. And the whole room, the house lights go down, right? You hear this kind of monk chanting kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, the the drum hits, the big lights, the house lights turn on, and here you are kind of blown back in your seat and you know, you're in for a ride, right? Like this is unlike anything I've ever seen before. I am like the, 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 the sound was perfectly mixed. Like we had great seats, like just everything was on point and the energy in the room was tremendous. And there, whenever you see a good band, I saw probably 10 years later, I saw rush because my brother and my uncle wanted to go. We stood on the lawn yeah. We, we watched this and, and I'm not the biggest Rush fan, but I was familiar enough with the catalog. Yeah, I'll go check it out. From the word go, you see someone who's been playing together for 30 years and you're like, oh, this is what it's supposed to be like. And you know that you're in good hands, that even if you're not familiar with the material, you're going to enjoy yourself. The money you paid will be well spent. And there's a feeling you get in your belly when you just feel safe, when you feel comfortable, and when you know that whoever is in front of you is going to at least deliver, if not over-deliver on their promises. That feeling is professionalism. That is a trait. That is a character trait that most salespeople now do not possess and do not think about achieving. That is the problem that I want to tell people about. That's what I want to talk about today, Jason, because there aren't enough people who are taking their games seriously enough to do it well enough to make their customers feel safe. I'm going to take this in another direction too, real quickly, if you'll indulge another personal story. 2014, it was April. I don't remember this date, but something about April. So I walk onto, I'm I'm playing golf. I'm at Bandon Dunes in Southern Oregon. And you walk between the dunes. I just made a bad double bogey on number three. It was a par five. Walk between the dunes. You go out to the fourth tee box and you are punched in the face, punched in the gut, at least, by the Pacific Ocean. And you look out, and all you see are white caps in the horizon, and you know the next stop is Japan. And you look to the left of you, and here's this beautiful golf resort. And I thought to myself, as, as I'm tearing up, right, it's like there, there's another feeling in my belly right now. That, that feeling is gratitude, because I get to stand right here right now, doing this stupid thing, paying too much money to play a silly game on this beautiful piece of real estate. And that gratitude is what brings me back. That recognition that, again, I'm in the right place at the right time for the right reasons because I've earned it. How often do you make your customers feel that gratitude? How often do they leave with the satisfaction of knowing that they've earned the place, to, earned the right to be there, they appreciate what they're getting, They appreciate the results that they're going to experience. Those are the feelings that customers can have. Those are the feelings that keep people coming back. Those are the feelings that keep people paying more for what you provide than your your, your competitors do. Those are the feelings that get them to tell their friends. And those are the feelings that even happen during COVID. Is that a good place to start? Yeah, just bring in the fire to get it going here. I, I, <laughs> Thomas is like, preach, brother. Um, <laughs> dude, I love this. Uh, okay, so let's let's dig into these two things. I'm going to end the poll and just share it just so everyone can uh, can kind of see. It sounds like reprioritizing your focuses is like a big thing people are thinking. So this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just, before we dig in, can you tell them a little bit more about the stuff that you're giving away and 
let's get some people to engage with the Q&A and then we could dig right into this stuff. Cool. I wrote a book earlier this spring during the pandemic called uh, Rethink the Way You Sell When It Goes Sideways. And it's about really reprioritizing your focus, focusing on what matters, recognizing what matters, and then making sure that you enable yourself to uh, really act on those priorities. So um, I'm giving away signed copies of those books. I'm going to give away 10 autographed copies of those books. Um, I had t-shirts made because um, a friend of mine, Mike Weinberg, had great t-shirts made and I actually contacted his person. I said, what are those t-shirts? I want my logo on there too. So I've got five t-shirts I'm going to give away. Um, When It Goes Sideways is also available on audible.com. And so I've got some uh, free downloads for for people. I'm going to give away 10 of those too. And um, I also actually... Well, last night, I pushed go on it last night, but today um, I launched a new private premium podcast that uh, uh, I think people are really going to like. It's unlike anything else I've ever heard in the space. I'm going to give away three annual subscriptions to those as well. Um, So I want people to be engaged. I want people to show up. I want people to ask questions because look, there's no reason to show up to a live event if you're not going to interact with the, the presenters, right? If, if we're not going to kind of get after this with the people in the audience, then it doesn't make sure, or I'm sorry, it doesn't make any sense to be here. So ask us questions, challenge me, yeah. give me hell, I don't care, whatever you want to do. Let's make this worthwhile and let's be as engaged. Uh, let's Hopefully the people watching are engaged the same way you and I were the first time we saw Eddie Van Halen walk across the stage, strut across the stage. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Q&A button, you guys. That's where you want to ask the questions so that we can get to them. Dude, let's talk about professionalism because that feeling that you talked about is interesting. Like when I was watching Van Halen, there was no moment in time where I was like, did he not practice like this song beforehand? Because it looks like he's winging it. There was this like the same thing you see with uh, comedians, really polished comedians is like, they're able to tell the story in a way that feels like they're telling it the first time, but they've just done it thousands of times. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about this as a salesperson and a sales professional really is what, what we're getting to is when a prospect comes and hops on a phone call with you or a Zoom call, do they get that same impression of you? Can you dig more into what you mean by that and the experience and like why you're even thinking about it from the prospect's point of view? Well, and you know, what's interesting to add to that though, is, and I think this is an important distinction. I saw Van Halen more than once. I saw him again, August 2nd, 1995 at Pine Knob, which is now DTE Energy Music Theater or whatever, same tour. They played some of the same songs, but it wasn't exactly the same way. It was mm-hmm. familiar. The, um, the, the energy was still there. They didn't change any of the lyrics. They didn't change any of the, the, the chord progressions or anything like that. But there are these little flares and nuances that just help them express themselves in that time. And they also make you feel like you're seeing something unique, right? This is not total improvisation, but it's not the same from night to night to night. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about scripts and how some people hate scripts because they feel like they're really boxed into the things that they need to say. And, you know, a script should give you, your your talking points should give you a little bit of latitude one way or another so that you're comfortable with the material. But in the moment you can, look, if you're feeling frisky that day, have a little more fun with it, go out and take a little bit of a risk with it. Um, And, but you know where home base is. And I think what professional musicians do, what professional salespeople do, is they work on the elements of their songs. They work on the elements of their sales pitches. They work on the elements of the stories that they tell. And they master those elements. It's about understanding why stuff works, not just what works. And when you have an understanding of the fundamentals and the principles and the concepts that will make you successful in anything, 
you can master those concepts to the point where you don't have to have the words rehearsed. You don't have to have notes written down for yourself, right? But the person who, um, you know, I, I took a, I took a message on LinkedIn today from someone, actually, Jason, that both you and I know. And it was a, a sales rep who I know has contacted us before. I know and, exactly who you're talking about. And, and the, contacted this me rep, too. <laughs> this, this rep said, can you help me with this canned response that I'm sending out to everybody? Yeah. And I said, um, can we talk about the fact that you have a canned response that you send out to everybody? And this rep didn't really want to engage with that. She's, you know, they just said, look, this is how we do it here. And I said, these are probably the results you're going to get then. I, I don't know what to tell you, right? I mean, there, there's this, um, this concept that if you just tell me what to do, I can do it. And, and I don't want to get the answers wrong, right? This is important. I, I've been brought up from an early age. If you went to school in this country, you were brought up from an early age to not get the answers wrong on the test. And if you just get the answers right, then you're rewarded for that. But people don't understand what it's like to learn because that's different than getting the answers right on the test. And so you need a, a different mindset. You, you need to shift your focus away from just trying to do it right so I don't get in trouble to understanding what I'm trying to do so that I succeed. And I just, I don't think that's a concept that many people appreciate. So I, I agree hundred percent. When we start thinking about, yeah, cause I think a lot of people might be on this and be like, I've sold, I've been selling for a long time. I've been selling for, for decades or for years or whatever. Um, that doesn't necessarily equate to your skill level, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so when we look at this, like professionalism, like essentially what we're talking about is mastery of the mm -hmm. craft. What are some of the things that people should be thinking about when they're like, you know what, I need to really kind of revisit, uh, get back to the basics. And a lot of what people are talking about is reprioritizing your focus is like, how should you reprioritize your focus on like achieving mastery with sales and kind of getting back to the basics? What are some of the things we should think about? Like, do we start reading books? Do we start listening to more podcasts? Like, what does that look like in a more tactical you know, kind of way if someone's like, I, I really want to take my craft more serious and really show up for my prospects and my clients? The answer is not necessarily books. It's not necessarily podcasts. It's not necessarily even webinars like this. The answer starts, the, the answer to that, that question starts at the end. What are you trying to accomplish for your prospects? What are you trying to accomplish for yourself? What are you trying to accomplish for your company? What are the things that you still need to do today? Even though seven months ago, we didn't have COVID to, to work with and it was just business as usual, you mm -hmm. still have things to accomplish, right? So what are the problems you need to solve? How is it that you or your company then solve those problems? And, and, and what are the things that you provide to help them get from where they are right now to where they want to be, which is someplace better, regardless of whether or not where they are right now is even bad, right? Companies are trying to grow. They're trying to take next steps. How do you help companies? How do you help people get from where they are right now to where they want to be? And then, only then, can you take the next step and say, what's the best way for me to help them get there? right? So the, if the problem is, how do I earn a meeting? How do I earn a sales call? Mm -hmm. Well, then, you know, you, you have to think about what your ask is about. You have to trade that value for time, which is what you've heard so many people talk about. You know, um, Anthony Inarino probably says it the loudest and the most often is that if what you're asking for isn't worth more than the time you're asking for, or I'm sorry, if what you're offering isn't worth more than the time you're asking for, you're going to have a hard time earning people's time or 
more specifically, you're going to have a hard time earning that attention from the right people, which is a, a big difference. If your value proposition is where it needs to be, if the way you ask and what you're asking for and what you're offering is really on point, if it's really sharp, then the people you actually want to do business with will, will give you their attention. But if you're not so tight, if you're getting a little loose, if you're really not sharpening that message, then the only people you're going to get the attention from are not going to be the ideal people for you. You're going to have less than ideal customers. You're going to have less than ideal profit margins. And you're going to feel as if you don't have any other choice. So you're going to settle for less than ideal customers. And so I think you have to start with the problem you solve. And then you have to think about the right ways to get there. And then you have to think about the tools to your point about webinars, podcasts, you know, books, whatever it is. Who are the people that you would be listening to? Who would be the people that you're reading that can help you best accomplish what you need to accomplish based on the problems that you've decided you want to solve? Yeah. And this kind of comes back to your, what you always say, you know, be someone worth talking to and have something worth talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, there's some things that you can ask yourself here that I picked up after what you said, Jeff, and I am constantly pushing myself with this. Like I'll give you a really kind of almost silly example. Um, And we had a membership that we launched at the beginning of COVID is 10 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. You know, I actually hopped on sales calls to talk to reps about it. Not that I needed to do that to get people involved, but I was really curious about what kind of problems people were having. And I really pushed myself to be like, Jason, I don't actually think that you know about the people you work with and their problems as, as, as much as you think that you do, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's like a really good place that you can start is do you really, really understand the problem that you're solving in their language? Can you talk to the problem? Like you are the prospect that's going to stuff like that is that's not a script. That's not a template. That's no magic words, but having that context in a one page document or I don't know, a voice memo, however you decide to capture that information, you're going to like really be able to bring that professionalism again to that sales call when you can be like, I don't know if you ever experienced this stuff, but I'm talking to a lot of people that are saying this and you can really talk about it in their language, add the context, everything that's going to 10x your prospecting. That's going to 10x your ability to close. I mean, that right there is really where I would get started. That's the thing that this reminded me of just now. Oh, and I just wrote this down. Can you talk to the problem? Like you are the prospect. Yep. That's a, that's gold. That's why you're so good at what you do, but the, 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 that kind of empathy. And where do you go to talk and think like a prospect? You go to your best customers. And, and this is what I'm doing with this project that I've been working on launching for what really feels like a couple of years. It's finally coming to fruition. It's still not quite where I want it to be yet, but it's really, really good where it is. And it's like, I'm calling people who were my early adopters. And I'm saying, what are you taking from this? Is this what I thought it would be? You know, I, I've been saying this for a couple of years now. If you ask 100 salespeople why their best customers buy from them, five will know because they've asked. 15 will guess right because they're pretty intuitive and they, you know, they pay attention to things. 80 would be shocked. And those are the same 80 that underperform every year that get lucky and make club one year because that big deal finally falls through the cracks and into their hands. And, you know, there's so many people, if they would just start asking why their best customers bought from them, they would be able to understand the problem much better. They would also be given gift wrapped 
handed, sent by a like FedEx white glove service, right? The perfect language to find more customers just like their best customers. What more do you want? But too many people are afraid to ask because they got to get a little vulnerable and they got to act like they don't know a little bit. And it takes a little bit of extra effort. And I got to think about this and when I have some YouTube videos to watch or isn't Instagram interesting right now, like what are you trying to do? You're trying to serve, you're trying to serve better the people who you already are delighting and you're trying to find more people like them. Why are you working so hard looking for a silver bullet when the best natural resource that could ever be given to you is right in front of you? You're just afraid to pick up the phone. If there's anybody you should be buying lunch for, it's the person who pays you ahead of schedule and yep. pays a higher profit margin. And you don't buy them a lunch just to, to thank them. You buy them lunch and say, look, I'm, I'm trying to find more people like you. What is it that keeps you doing business with us? And if you're really feeling frisky, you could ask them for a referral. But that's, whoa, wait, we can't do that. Yeah. Uh, the, the common excuse, I love that. The common excuse I, I hear is, well, I don't want to bug them. Who cares? That's kind of where I'm coming from at this point. It's like, who, who cares? Uh, it, you've asked a person for a favor before, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's what you're doing here. Just be polite and ask and explain like what you want to talk about. And if you've done good work with them, you know, people will be happy to share. I mean, the poll, you guys said 34% reprioritizing your focuses. I think everyone has had to do that. A really good way to do that is just figure out what's top of mind for your customers right now and what problems they're having. Those become your number one focuses to learn more about and educate yourself about. I actually had a client tell me this a couple of weeks ago. And he said, you know, the person that I'm trying to get a hold of, I know they're busy. I know they have a whole lot of time. And I know they don't want some, just any old salesperson calling them and interrupting them. And I said, you're right. But there's more than one factor in this equation. You can choose to just not be any old salesperson. Yeah. You could be better than that. What if you believed that you were worth interrupting somebody? Yeah. What if what you offered was going to make such a difference that you were so passionate about it that you felt like Ziegler said, however many years ago, you have a moral obligation to help people with the problems you can solve for them. Yeah. Wow. But the problem is that most people, even some, a lot of sales professionals do not ever make that jump to sales or to professional salesperson because they don't have that belief because they are not that engaged. Because they signed up for something they thought was going to be easy. Oh, salesperson, sales guys always on the golf course, always, you know, uh, having fancy bottles of wine at dinner. And oh, what an easy job. I invite you to join me. I invite you to work as hard as I have. I invite you to work half as hard as I have to understand how I can help people so that I can make it look as easy as you think it is. No one wants to do that. It's right here. Jason, you've been unfolding the playbook page by page for people for the last couple of years. I've been doing the same thing. People still don't listen to us. Are they just not listening or are they afraid? That's the question that I, I, I need answered. Yeah. And I, you said this earlier too, because we were, we were talking, um, this was a couple of weeks ago. And you said, what do you want to get out of this? I said, well, I want to, you know, shake some people by the shoulders and, and get them to wake up a little bit. And, you know, that might have something I want to offer them. You said, dude, why are people afraid to sell these days? And I've been thinking about that in the two weeks since you said it. And it's, it's something I've been thinking a lot about. We've been trained to believe that if what you offer is good enough, people will find you. 
And that takes the pressure off people to the yeah. point where with content marketing, which is really valuable, people, the, the answer and the, some of the advice that I've been given is just create more content, create more content. If your content's not converting, make your content better and create more of it. What about just asking for the order? What about, hey, what I have is really good and I think it'll help you. This is what it costs, but that cost is also an opt-in and increased engagement so that it's more likely you're actually going to use it. Why don't we make this good for both of us? That is a conversation too many people are afraid to have, but a professional salesperson is not afraid to have that. Yeah. Let's get into some questions because there's some really relevant stuff coming up. Uh, Jerry Kleeman asks, what kind of questions are you asking the client for feedback? Maybe we give a give a couple questions that people mm. can ask. Great question, oh. Jerry. Jerry, great question. So Jerry, you've done business with me. Hypothetically, you're my, my, my customer. Jerry, I'm, uh, I'm looking to grow my business as you are. And one of the things that I've found is the most helpful for me to grow with the right kind of people, people like you, it helps me to understand why you bought from me. What was it that made you decide to buy from me the very first time? And then you can answer that. And then I would say, um, what is it then that keeps you buying from me? Because you bought from me the first time, but I've probably done something in the subsequent years that has really helped you feel like what you're purchasing from me is worth purchasing over and over and over again. Are, are they the same reasons? What would be those reasons that you would buy from me? And what kind of an impact has that really made on your business? The answers to those questions Jerry, in your words, are going to help me with other people. You know, I mean, and it's one thing, you know, industry jargon kind of plays a role in that. It's one thing if you sell something within an in industry and you know all of the particular jargons, so you speak that similar kind of language. Um, with me helping people in multiple industries, I'm like half a step behind. I pick up really quickly, but I don't always know it, you know, right off the bat. But when I pay attention to not only the concepts you're talking about, but the words you use to describe those concepts, I now have perfect tailoring material for the questions that I'm going to ask, the variations in the questions that I'm going to ask, and um, how to tailor that, those, that, that prospecting messaging in the future. So I, I, I always tell people ask twice. Ask the first time, and which will give you kind of a surface level answer. You're being kind of vulnerable and you're encouraging your customer to be vulnerable, but they're only going to go so far but to ask them to be more specific the second time. So, oh, you, Jeff, you've helped our business tremendously. Thank you, Jerry. I really appreciate that. How, can you be more specific? And the reason I ask is that the more specific you get about how I've been able to help you, the more likely I am to help somebody else who's in your position. Here's something that a lot of people forget. Your best customers want you to succeed. Yep. And, and, and people think, oh, I'm, I'm going to be greedy. I'm going to be perceived as being greedy. I'm asking for referrals, things like that. No, no, no. I'm trying to help. And, and when you really help someone, when you develop a partnership, a valuable relationship as a trusted advisor for people, they want you to help others and they will give you the ammunition to do that. So Jerry, that's where I would start. I, I don't know if that, um, I hope that answers your question. Oh, it definitely does, dude. It's simple, straightforward. Um, one other thing too, if, so if you're an SDR, BDR, and you're just appointment setting, just appointment setting, I like how yeah, people describe it. It's the hardest part of the job. Um, if your AE closes a deal, reach back out to that prospect and be like, hey, just wanted to get some feedback from you. I'm really curious why you decided to take the meeting. Um, another question, Jerry, that I love is, 
know, what problem were you having when you decided to reach out mm-hmm. to me? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, another really good question from Carolyn Shiveta. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly here. Um, if I want someone to trust me, trust the value I'm selling and put myself in a position of a trusted advisor, how do I break the budget barrier that they've put up during COVID? Ooh. So I think there's a difference between having budget and having money. Yep. And I think if your solution is worth something, then they're going to find the money to pay for it. And budgets have certainly been constrained. What's different about COVID is that money has also been constrained. So what we're seeing is um, revenue cycles uh, and, and sales cycles lengthened, elongated, right? People are have less certainty about when they're going to be paid from their vendors. And so cash flow is an issue. And so things take longer. And when you, whenever you run into a budget issue, whenever you run into a, um, a pricing issue or objections along those lines, you have to go back to the problem that you're solving. Again, it's not, is my product worth what I'm asking for? Is the solution to your problem worth the money I told you it's going to cost to get there? And that means you're going to have to step your game up, right? You're going to have to make sure that you deliver. There is zero room to overpromise and underdeliver. So you have to make sure that you are solid in your value proposition. You have to make sure that you understand very well the problems that you're trying to solve for the prospect. And then you have to also, and this helps to have a lot of pipeline because that's always a fundamental that you need to solve for. But you know, saying, look, this is what it costs. And when you have enough pipeline to where you say, look, this is what it costs. If you don't have the budget now, I can wait a budget cycle, but you probably have the money. And in this case where COVID has even changed that game a little bit, if you don't have the money, can you wait until you have it? I can wait until I have it, or or sorry, I can wait until you have it. I'm not budging on this, but if you can't wait, you know, is, is, you know, is waiting until you have the money going to cause you more problems or going to cause you more of an issue than finding the money somewhere for it right now so we can get to work? right? There's, there's always a cost to underinvesting and a cost to, you know, being late and, and, and waiting to implement. And um, look, there's no bulletproof method here. Like th- this doesn't work. All best practices do not work hundred percent of the time, but anything less than best practices is going to reduce your success rate over, you know, compared to what it could have been if you would have just done it well. So I, I think, the budget versus money is an interesting thing. And do you have the wherewithal to say, look, we have enough pipeline right now. I've, I'm, I'm not caving. I know what this is worth. It gets back to that belief. I know what this is worth. And if you're interested or even considering caving because budget is there, uh, certainly there are certain professional courtesies that could be traded. You know, as Todd Capone likes to say, I, would, I will reward with that professional courtesy with a discount or I will purchase that professional courtesy with a discount. You know, there are ways that you can negotiate, but um, the the budget conversation is that is um, that needs to be the prospect's problem, not your problem. And too many salespeople make it their problem, which takes the onus off the prospect to figure it out. And that sets a tone for a relationship right away. That is uh, heading in the wrong direction. If you ask me. Jason, what do you say to that? 
Dude, that's such a key thing that you just said there were it, like the budget, it's up to them to figure that out. You're there to help, but it's not your problem if someone doesn't have budget. And I love, yeah, I was going to say, what's the cost of not doing business with you? What's the cost of not fixing this problem? And that's a very logical uh, way to look at the numbers, but there's also an emotional cost mm-hmm. of not doing something. So hopefully you uncovered some of that stuff, Carolyn, throughout the sales process where they talked about how stressed that they were or how under the gun they feel because they're not hitting X result or that X is not happening. Um, Dude, I don't have anything to add there, man. I I thought that was great. And this is about you, by the way. People want to know what your answers are uh, to these questions. (laughs) Thank you for the validation. One of the things that you you picked up too was, um, hopefully that's something you've picked up. Professional salespeople approach um, discovery on a completely different level than sales professional than the average sales professional does. Uh, discovery is this thing you should spend a lot of time in. You should really, you should, you need to do that in order to, as you said earlier, speak to the problem as a prospect, right? Put yourself really, you know, really dive in and put yourself in their shoes. When you know the product, the problem inside and out, then you have those things at the ready to remind them of and say, look, I understand you don't have the budget. And by the way, you can't possibly have the budget for this concept that I just you know, introduced to you. This was my idea that I brought to you. That's what proactive prospecting, really good proactive prospecting does is it makes people aware of situations that they couldn't have planned for. So I understand you don't have budget for it, but look, is this a problem that you still need solved? And do you still feel as if this is the best way for you right now or in the near future to go about solving that problem? Is the solution, the cost of the solution is that going to be b- better in your eyes than the cost of not implementing the solution? And what are the effects of the status quo? And what are the benefits of getting to work right now? When you, well, we get to the relationship leverage part a little bit, a trusted advisor is not afraid of her customers. Yeah. When you walk in, again, if you don't believe enough in yourself, if you don't believe enough in your product to know that you deserve the right to be sitting there in that conversation right there, and then you have no reason to run away, that might be the biggest problem that your and my clients have, Jason, is the fact that they are afraid of their customers. They're afraid to stand up for themselves and their companies. They don't believe in their solution enough to say, this is what it costs. And if you don't have the money right now, that's fine. I'll forgive you. But these people back here do. So if you don't mind, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go work with some people who believe in what I believe in to the same extent. Like that's really what we're talking about here. But everybody's got this hang up with money and spending other people's money to the fact where they're just looking for the low hanging fruit to say, well, where can I go to get a quick win and hopefully catch a commission check so I can pay the rent this month? That's not professional salesmanship or, or, or sellership as our friend Deb Calvert is, is kind of uh, piloting that movement to um, you know, change some of the terminology. Like, what do you believe in? And do you believe enough in it to stand up for it and to ask for the money that you're worth? You solve problems other people can't solve in ways other people can't solve for them. That's worth something. And if you don't believe it, your customers never will. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty fired up to do some sales right now. I <laughs> uh, hope you're enjoying the interview so far with Jeff. And one quick thing I wanted to mention is that he's been talking a lot about belief and belief really you know, comes out in the words and your tone and part of making sure that you know, the conviction comes out and the prospect feels the conviction is being able to coach yourself, right? And for as a manager, enabling your reps to coach themselves so that you can hear that in their tone. 
you know, one of the tools I use for that is called Wingman. Make sure to check it out at trywingman.com, but it's a really good tool you can use to coach yourself and go beyond just getting a recording of the call. You can capture some of those winning moments, but more importantly, you can just create some better habits around how you talk about what you do and you can grade and tell for yourself if the conviction in your tone is there. And you can also enable your reps to bookmark calls and and for you to pinpoint and listen to very specific moments in the call to save you time. So make sure to check it out, trywingman.com. And let's get back to the interview with Jeff. Yeah, I love that, dude. One thing, one quick thing you can do, I call it drinking the company Mm Kool-Aid is like, think about, because I, I don't know about you, Jeff, on a weekly basis, certain things will come up that I have a a problem I'm trying to help a, a customer solve. And I'm, it's not quite going as well as I would hope. And I start to doubt myself. Happens all the time. What I always go back to, and this is that drink in the company Kool-Aid is every testimonial that we've got. I got a document where I just open the stuff up. It just reminds me again, oh, Jason, you know what you're doing? These people have gotten good results from this. I have a, a social proof folder in Gmail where anytime someone sends me an email because something that I helped them with worked, I just save that into a folder. And you guys can do the same thing with your customers. like. Have these calls, capture those testimonials, like write down those results. You should be pouring through every testimonial, video testimonial, every case study that your company has. That confidence, it just helps you so much to where it's like you reach back out to someone. It's like, I don't care like if we have to spend another hour talking about this, but not in your budget. I just, I can't let that rest because this is such a big problem you said that you need to solve. We got to figure out a way to get this done. Yeah. You need to be able to come in with that conviction. Right. Right. I, I tell people that, you know, um, you know, say this to yourself a hundred times in the morning and it's, I'm the best in the world at what I do. And the really scary part is I'm only half as good as I'm ever going to be. And yeah. say that to yourself twice and you smile a little bit, say it 10 times, you, you know, and you start to believe it and you start to feel good. You say it a hundred times and you get a fire in your belly that makes you want to run through a brick wall. You couple that with your, your, um, your, your, your social proof folder and you realize that you are someone worth delivering this solution, worth selling this solution, and then remind yourself of all the people that you, or even if, if you're new, grab the social proof folder from the experienced rep, you know, two doors down from you or, or whatever in the office or two miles away from you, you know, if, if everybody's working remotely right now and remind yourself of all the good your company has done. You combine yep. those two things together, you are very powerful. Yep. It's not complicated though. It's it's not very sexy, Jason. You don't need an app to do that. So I don't know <laughs> if people are allowed, you know. I mean, do we need to create an app to do that? Maybe that would help <laughs> people be better salespeople. Sorry. Um, no, dude, I love it. And, and just a reminder, you guys, because some of you are asking questions in the chat. Make sure to do it in the QA so we can get to as many as we can. Uh, Mackie Bradley asked a really good question. So, how do you up your game and maybe uh, if you're changing careers, how do you convince people you are the authority, especially if you're a bit more experienced? How do you combat, uh, combat ageism? I think there's kind of two questions in there almost. Okay. So how do you keep the authority when you're changing careers? Is that the question, the first part of the question? Yeah. If you're changing careers. So I'm, I'm wondering if that's like, how do I maintain, you know, the confidence and the value that I bring if I'm potentially going to be switching into another industry? Well, I think you have to shift your focus around what expertise is. Um, you know, if you're if you're moving from one industry to the next, 
you don't have the nuance specific to that new industry down yet, but you know you've solved problems for people in the past. You know you've creatively come up with solutions that have been able to blend what you offer as a service or a solution provider to what they're you know asking for as um, you know in their business. Um, ageism is a thing. I've seen it and, and it surprised me at first, but I had a couple of people, you know, I had a couple of new managers come into my company and they're like, you know what, I'm in my early fifties right now. And, you know, that's not necessarily what people are looking for. Right. And I've also been on the other side of that where, you know, look, I'm going to be 41 in a couple of weeks and people have called me because they're too young. And I'm like, we don't have enough gray hairs at our table. Can you come sit down with us and, you know, help represent us? So there's, there's a, there are factors out there that you need to um, certainly account for. I think when you're changing careers, you got to remember, there's a reason you change careers. Somebody believed in you enough to, ch- to, to encourage you to make the switch. And you've got experience of getting deals done in the past. And my guess is, if you're at an age where you're concerned that it's going to be held against you, but you changed careers anyway, you're probably somewhere closer to the side of knowing how to sell than you are to being way over here and just being someone who sold a lot of things. So if you know how to sell, you got to lean on that. Also, I would reframe the definition of customer in this, in this sense. And who are the people who are your loudest, strongest, most ardent um, advocates for you to switch careers? Those are your customers. Ask them why they thought you could do it. Ask them why they believe that it was worth you risking a career that you built and putting that aside, leaving that behind for one reason or another and going in a different direction. They believed in you. So what about them believing in you can translate into your, um, you know, your prospects and your customers? And you'll have to work on the messaging a little bit. That's Okay. But, um, you know, what are those things that you need to uh, focus on yourself? Love it, man. Good question, Mackie. Brian's got another one, and I'm going to add just more context to this to make it relevant for everyone else. He's asking, you know, what is your recommendation for delivering better sales pitches to automotive engineers? This is a different sales industry where sales cycle times are two plus years. So anyone that's got a really long sales cycle, you know, where it's like, I can't meet with someone next week and then sell them a product or service the week after. What does that adding value part look like and feel like when the sales cycles are that long? Partnership. I think it looks, you know, the, the trusted advisor becomes mm-hmm. the partner. Um, it, it's funny. I was, I mentioned earlier, I was talking to Carolyn Shavetta about this yesterday, but the, the idea that you wrap your arm around someone's shoulder metaphorically now, hypothetically now, rather than personally, and you look off into the horizon and you can see things coming up that they can't see because you've been places before that they haven't been. Because your point of view, the expertise that you bring with you as a trusted advisor is going to help them see things a couple of steps ahead of their own visibility. And I think, look, long sales cycles mean there's a lot of time for things to go sideways. It means that there's a long time before you're going to collect a commission, but it also means that you need to be working on deal after deal after deal and and seeing things ahead of time and leaning on the experience of what a long sales cycle has taught you before. You know, I've worked on this and living in Detroit, there's some automotive companies around here and there are a lot of people out there who were absolutely thrown for a loop when the big three decided they were going to stop making sedans. People aren't buying sedans, so we're going to stop making sedans. Right before that cycle, that that model cycle was ready to take off again. 
there were people who lost a lot of money because of that. And so that is, while it's unfortunate and disheartening, it certainly cost me a couple of clients that I know of for sure, because they just couldn't, like their business changed to have the foresight to see the indicators that things are on the horizon because of the experience you live through. And look, if you're new to this game, man, find someone in, take the old timer at the office to lunch or buy her a virtual coffee or whatever it is and say, what was the stuff that took you most by surprise in your career? What was the stuff that rocked you to your foundation that you thought was going to be the end of the world that didn't turn out to be the end of the world, right? What happened? What was it? And what made it not the end of the world in hindsight? How did things recover in ways that you weren't expecting to, expecting them to? And so now all of a sudden you've got stories that you can tell people. You know, look, I don't know how many people are on this call. Well, I know how many people are on the call. I don't know how many people, the age of the people that are on this call, but there are a lot of sellers out there right now did not sell through the last economic downturn. So they just think that money's free. People are ready to buy and, you know, everything's going to be all the time because for the last 10 plus years, we've had an an unbelievable run in the stock market and people feel like the economy's good. Mm -hmm. Um, I sold through the last economic downturn. This one feels a lot like that one did because of fear and because of the, just the sentiment in the market. If you don't know how to work with people who are shell-shocked, you're going to struggle. Find someone who has. Learn some empathy. Learn how to talk to people when they're uncomfortable. Learn how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations because you know you belong there. And help people through the way they need a leader, the way they need a trusted advisor to help them. That's, that's my advice. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's, I tend to ramble, Jason. No, this is good stuff, man. I, I think with Brian, so if you get objections when you're prospecting for people saying, I already have a solution in place, do what Jeff is talking about. It doesn't matter. Like build that relationship. You know, it's about the long-term relationship there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So there's some, dude, there's some other really good ones here. Um, Jeff Barker asked, what are some of the best ways to distinguish yourself. I don't want to be that salesperson who just follows up constantly. And I, and again, I want to add with this Q and A some context into everyone else. If you could bring that into your answer, Jeff, like anyone that's doing a lot of prospecting, you know, right now, uh, SDRs, BDRs, those kind of folks, or people that are like doing sales calls and, you know, you get those prospects that ghost you, right. That you got to follow up with. How do you think about distinguishing yourself from all of the other people that are following up and saying, uh, hey, was the budget approved yet? Are we ready to go yet? <laughs> I got two emails this week from one, I believe she's a young lady that works at um, the gym that I used to work at like 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Two emails this week that asked me if I got the emails she sent. Yeah. Don't be, with all due respect to her, don't be like her. Hey, did you get that thing signed? Hey, did you do that thing that you said you were going to do, but you haven't done yet? Or at least you haven't told me that you did it yet. Hey, did that number come through, that budget come through? Hey, did you have that meeting with your manager? No, 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 no. no. Listen, I think prospecting is almost, I mean, it's it's like, um, I think, I'm sorry, I think follow-up is prospecting's like fraternal twin. They're not exactly the same, but they're really, really close. And you can tell that they're coming from the same place. Yep. You need to provide value at every at every step of the engagement, you need to make sure that your emails are worth opening. Your phone calls are worth taking, even if they don't have that thing that is, that is holding up the process. You don't need to remind me that it's my fault that we don't have this deal done yet. You know how many things I'm working on at the same time. 
if I always know that your phone call is worth taking, or I always know that your email is worth opening, now you're improving your reputation. But here's, and this came up on a call this morning. I was training a, um, a client this morning. When your phone calls or when your emails don't bring a lot of value, all of a sudden your reputation starts to get eroded. Whenever someone says, oh, not another email from Bajoric, my reputation goes down, even though they may have already committed to buying my product. That is not the way I want the relationship to start. Yeah. So if you're, um, you know, again, if they go dark on you, you need to remind them of the problem that you were solving for them. And maybe it's from an industry journal. Maybe it is from a conversation you had with someone. Maybe it's from a commercial you saw on television during the football game on Sunday. It was just, hey, I saw this and I thought of you. And it made me think of that thing we're working on together. Just, hey, look, I know you'll get back to me because you said you'd get back to me, wink, but I saw this and I thought of you. Like, that's worthwhile feedback or, or, or follow-up that doesn't necessarily trip the alarms of, will this person just get off me, right? Like, always provide some kind of value and have the empathy to know what the prospect will consider valuable. Yeah, I love that. This is a really good one for you too. So Sasha, and this is a common problem I see in the work that we do. As SDRs, how can we get this type of customer feedback when your sales leadership won't give it to you? So any rep that's in a position right now where the customer kind of frowns upon you talking directly to customers, or I think another applicable thing is if you don't have a lot of customers yet, maybe at your current job because you're new at that company, how do you suggest people get that kind of feedback on why people hire them, the problems that they're solving, et cetera. So if a company can't tell me how they've made sales and for what reasons, either they can't tell me or they're reluctant to tell me, I start looking for a new job. Yep. I'm sorry. You can't communicate to the own to your own people, the people you trusted to grow this business. You mean you're just going to say, go figure it out? There are two, Sasha, Sasha asked, asked this question, right? Yep. Sasha, you might be in the wrong place. And I think you should be very skeptical of a company that's not willing to enable you to succeed on their behalf. So let me just get that out of the way. If it's the case where eh, we just don't have a whole lot of customers, we don't know. <sighs> Welcome to startup world, right? I mean, you're, you're kind of flying on assumptions. Um, I think the tenor of your prospecting is a little bit different. I think you start asking questions about pro uh, problems that you... Um, you believe you solve and the way you believe you solve them. And I think you ask for clarification on a regular basis. Does that make sense? Am I answering, am I asking that question correctly? Do I have a, uh, does it feel like I have a pretty good understanding of the problem you're solving or am I missing the mark? Like that's where I'm not afraid to get vulnerable, right? Like here, look, yeah. I'm showing it. I'm showing up here. I am. This is me. Look, you see what you see is what you get and I'm here to help. But if I'm not, addressing the problem that I think you have, because you actually have another problem, please help me because it'll save us both time and energy. And we probably can help, but if I'm not aiming in the right direction, please guide me. Not every prospect is going to be willing to do that. So you really have to, um, it's difficult. It's more difficult in those situations to um, justify that you're someone worth talking to. So you have to ask really good questions about the problems you think you solve. Because that'll at least show that your your wheels are turning, you're you're trying, right? And I think um, good sellership gets rewarded. You know how much, Jason? Yep. You know how many magazines I bought from college kids because they just show up on my doorstep yep. and 
like I'm a sucker for that stuff. Please mm-hmm. don't send anybody my way, but like I'm a sucker <laughs> for that stuff because like I, I love seeing people try. And how many people are out there in business ownership or sales and, and just they get that you're out here scrapping and you're you're hustling and you're trying to help you have genuine intent. I think you need to be a little more vulnerable in those situations. Not necessarily admit your your flaws, but you know, as Todd Capone says, be be transparent with what you're trying to do. People gravitate toward that. And yep. I think most people want to help each other. And if you run into someone who doesn't want to help you, yeah, then we're your customer anyway. Yeah, it's such a pattern interrupt you know, to ask for help and to be transparent. I got uh, two other quick ideas for you, Sasha, because I know this is a problem I see a lot where customers, uh, our clients just don't like uh, their reps, you know, doing this kind of stuff. Listen to recordings of your AE doing demos and listen to the prospects. That's one thing I always do when I start working with a customer. And then the other thing that you could do too is like talk to your AEs or other people that are successful at the company, uh, talk to customer success, like, hey, when you do an onboarding call, like what are the big problems that the customer's bring to the table that our solution is able to help them with? Those are a couple of little quick things you can get some insights. I think we got time for one more question, Jeff. So we got another couple minutes here and I wanna make sure we have a few minutes at the end for, uh, for us to share how people can connect with you. Cool. Um, okay, so this last one is, is pretty good. Uh, so Jane Deere says, how can I get the message across to my sales team that they are not entitled? I have a post coming out about this topic in a couple of days. Uh, that they must always stay engaged with their customers and still build new business. Ooh. Oh, man. I only have like two minutes for this. <laughs> um, I think the proof is usually in the pudding, so to speak. And I think the the form comes in the examples of the people who refuse to be entitled and looking at how much more successful they are. Now, um, I think there's typically one, maybe two reps on any team that clearly outperform the rest. And they do stuff, Jane, that other people just don't do. And the trick there is not necessarily comparing people. It's one thing to show someone as an example or or to represent someone as an example of what is possible. It's another thing, and this gets tricky, to compare your salespeople to that top seller because they likely don't see the, um, the, the similarities as it is which is why they're not doing that to begin with. So you have to approach this in a, in a tricky manner. But I think that comes down to coaching. I think that comes down to regular accountability meetings with your team members and asking them because you've got the experience, you've been there, but you just, and, and we've never spoken, we've traded emails a couple of times, but we've never spoken about this before, Jane. But by asking that question, I know you know what's holding your sales team back. And so for you, I think it comes down to regular accountability meetings with your team and to be able to ask those questions and prod those, those reps and say, um, so what have you done on this deal? Oh, I'm waiting. It's been you know two weeks, but I'm waiting for this. Why do you think waiting is the best next step for you? Help me understand. I'm okay with it. If you're okay with it, look, this is your ship. I'm here to help you steer it. But um, please help me understand why waiting is the best next step for you. And not trying to take something else and, and being a little more proactive with it. Um, anytime someone feels entitled, that means they're waiting on something. It means they're abdicating responsibility to something else. And um, that violates Stephen Covey's rule number one. Yep. Be proactive. Take responsibility. Who is, is the customer? Are you going to make the sale? Or are you going to wait for a customer to buy? There's no. a big difference. Dude, love it. Dude, this time like flew by so fast, man. <laughs> <laughs> I want to make sure though, just because people are going to have to hop off here in a couple of minutes. Um, in terms of like the swag and stuff like that, how is that going to work and how will people know if they get it? 
Um, and then where can people go to connect with you and check out your stuff, man? Um, you can go to jeffbajoric.com and you can also go to rethink the way you sell.com, which is where my online community lives. My free online community lives. Um, Jason, I'm seeing that there's 16 questions in the Q and a is that means that we have more than a handful that are not answered, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool. So this is what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to get the list of people who have answered, uh, who have asked questions and, um, I'm going to do an office hours next week on Friday and I'll get those questions and I'm going to invite those people who ask questions to that office hours and I'm going to spend an hour answering questions. Is that fair? Uh, I think it's pretty nice. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> if anybody wants to um, submit a question or you want to send me an email, jb at jeffbajoric.com, I'll direct you to the community. It's free. I'm, I'm not, you know, look, I've got stuff to sell you, but that can come later. I want to make sure I'm providing value. Um, you, you can come on out to this thing next, uh, next Friday and I'll record it too. And I'm going to get through as many questions as I can in an hour. And um, if you want to learn a little bit more about me, then, then, then we can talk from there. But jeffbajoric.com. I'm on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Twitter. Um, but the community is the best way to engage with me. I dropped those links in the chat, you guys. So you got his link. And I'm also going to drop his LinkedIn too. Let's blow up Jeff's LinkedIn. Go connect with him. Reach out. He's posting content on a daily basis. That's a good hub. I definitely recommend checking out his membership. I'm in there. Um, really great group of folks. Um, and then also it's just, it's a very engaged, uh, community too. And a lot of the folks from here, uh, I recognize the names in the community. So, um, before you take off my one ask for you, everyone is this replay is going up later tonight. If you got value from this, like share it with one other person that would make Jeff's day. Actually, if you shared it with one other person, <laughs> um, so keep your eye out for that later. we got Justin Welsh coming up on Thursday to talk about personal branding and LinkedIn and how we use it for that stuff. Oh, but Jeff, dude, thank you for being so gracious with your time and offering to meet with people at a separate time. And I always love getting to jam with you, man. This is, this is a blast. I appreciate your time, buddy. Dude, you get the best out of me every time. And I don't know how you do it, but I love, uh, I love these conversations with you. So um, thanks, for, thanks for doing this whole thing. And, and thanks for asking me to be a part of it. Always fun jamming with my man, Jeff. Uh, that was a super fun interview from you. I hope you enjoyed it as well. And like one of my big takeaways is like that conviction and that belief. It's, it's a skill that's, it's almost qualitative in nature because it's very hard to measure how good of a job that you're doing at it. And a, as a prospect, you can tell if someone believes in what they're selling or not. And that would be my challenge for you is, you know, do people believe in what you're saying? And that's something that you can practice. That is definitely a skill. And one of the ways that I practice that is with wingman, um, I know I've talked about it a couple times here in the episode, but I, I started using it about a month ago for my own sales calls. And I noticed a big difference in certain moments where people would ask me about why they should hire me, <laughs> you know, over, over other sales trainers or coaches or consultants. Some of the time, if they were comparing me to really big people in our space, I didn't sound super confident in answering that. And Wingman is a tool I've used to really go back and spot those moments in the calls without having to listen to through the entire recording, which I just don't have time for. So I can spot those moments and really practice and create better habits around it. And then I can create cue cards to see in future calls when people bring that up, I can have some talking points pop up. So I found that to be pretty helpful. If you're a rep, I would definitely recommend checking it out if your company doesn't have something like this. And if you're a manager or sales leader, definitely you know look at something like this to invest in with your team. It's worth every single dollar. So check it out at trywingman.com. And I appreciate you listening to the podcast today and spending over an hour of your time doing that. And we'll talk to you soon.